Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analyst around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports, here is Philip Jordan. What's up, y'all? Welcome into Talking SEC. This is your weekly look at all things SEC football, the best conference in college football. I'm your host, Philip Jordan, from the last world on college football, a 96.9 legend in Dothan, Alabama, where I'm the in-studio host and producer of Dothan Woods Football. You can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can find the podcast on Twitter at TalkingSECPod. Of course, podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you got a topic idea or a guest idea for the show, you can always send me an email at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody joining me today on the show is Coach Max Howell, of course, longtime assistant coach in the SEC and at Florida State. Ole Miss was where he was at in the SEC. And in 25-plus years in Sports Talk Radio all over the Southeast. And uh, Coach Howell, it is always an honor to have you on the show, and I uh, appreciate you jumping on. Well, you know, this is a good time of the year. Philip, I was a career assistant coach, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, everywhere I was, I was really aggressive, and I, I thought, you know, I was going to try to climb the ladder. When I first My first college coaching job, I was 25 years old at Troy, and uh, we had some good success there. I tried to parlay. I went back to the high school level for a while and ended up getting to Florida State and then going to Ole Miss. So, uh, but this time of the year was almost, almost the most exciting part because if these jobs come open, I was always looking for for one that wanted to apply for another job, trying to get up, move up the ladder to get a better deal somewhere. So, uh, with all the stuff that's happening right now, of course, the thing that happened today with Tennessee, uh, I think a lot of people saw that coming. And uh, I just hope. And I, I told you before we went on the air. I just finished doing a show in Knoxville for about forty five minutes. The the undercurrent up there is Tennessee's got to get it right this time. I mean, it's been years since they beat Alabama, and they, you know they don't do well against Georgia and Florida, the other two contenders in the East of the SEC. So uh, I've, I'll be interested to, to to field your questions and anything that pops in my mind. We'll lay it out there for the fans. But yeah, I mean, obviously with the the Tennessee deal, I mean that's the, the top of the line here on what we're, we're going to discuss first topic. And you just mentioned a little bit there with what's going on. That you just come from the radio station, you know, on the radio show there in Knoxville. But obviously, this is one of them deals. You know, they had that freeze on the coaching hires, and you kind of have a feeling like this was coming at some point. So when the alert did come across on my phone while I was at work today, I was not shocked uh, with Jeremy Pruitt. But going into it, I mean, just you know, this whole situation with Tennessee. I mean, it is it's a bad deal. This will now be the fifth coach they are going to hire since Philip Fulmer was let go after the 2008 season. Just. I guess not ask you how shocked you were because I don't think any of us were shocked, but just kind of how surprising that the the program had got to this point just three years in to uh, Jeremy Pruitt being there. Philip, I think it I think it's, it's an evolution thing. When you've got that many coaches, and that, remember this spills over beyond the athletic department. They've had three chancellors. They've had over turnover board of trustee members. They've had three athlete, three or four athletic directors in the same period of time. So that all points to an internal problems with administration. I don't know where it's between the current administration that are actually trying to operate the university and the board of trustees, but there's a there's a miss you know, there's a gap in there somewhere where the miscommunication 
But now, getting to the where they need to be today is got to make the right decision because they're, they're major opponents, both to the East and West, and the East is Georgia and Florida. And if they if they can't get a you know enough talent there to beat those guys, then they will continue to have a problem. But there's enough guys out there. You you've been around this business a long time. There's enough guys in this country. There's 130 divisional teams that belong to the NCAA. It don't tell me there's not a at least a coordinator and or a head coach at a maybe a little lower level than where Tennessee normally should be that they could put that program back together. But the administration much like Alabama had to do when Coach Saban was hired, they got to step back, hire the right guy, and let him run the program. And I think that's where Tennessee may have had a problem. But you, you look at when Coach Pruitt was hired, I thought he was the right guy. Uh, Coach Fulmer came in as an interim athletic director that was given the full-time job. He was, had been a long time. He, he was a player there. He'd been a long-time successful coach there, won a national championship. So all the, the things were in line at that particular time, but something is going wrong in between. The, the, the trucks run, you know, run off the track. And uh, I don't know whether they're going to make it, you know, make it happen right this time, but I feel like they have to do that. Yeah. And it's interesting where we sit now here, you know, in January of 2021, because just last year, Tennessee was coming off, you know, winning seven, eight games in a row to close out the season. I mean, you can nitpick at who they beat at the end of the season, but still they were coming in, going into the offseason, feeling good about themselves. They got a bowl win over Indiana. And then this this past year, of course, you know, it's a difficult year for a lot of teams due to the, all the COVID stuff and everything, but go three and seven. They started two and oh, but then, you know, it just fell off after that. It's, it's just kind of amazing looking where we are a year after with Tennessee. And they gave him an extension last year. Yep, yep. Well, I, you know, and I think Coach Fulmer really wanted this to be the right guy because when he actually took over the athletic director, if you remember, they were going through a lot of turmoil on mm-hmm. who they was going to hire and, and what, you know, the right guys to bring in. I mean, I just remember a lot of confusion going on, and that told me somebody didn't have the authority to make the decision up there, All the right people didn't. And I, I thought maybe it had gotten itself worked out, but certainly the, the wheels came off this year, and I knew – pretty well after that thing that they lost, what, six in a row at one time. Uh, Tennessee, it, well, it was, I'll tell you where it started back for them, too. I was getting rumors that some of the major contributors and ticket of season ticket holders said if they didn't get it straightened out, they were going to pull out. They would, they would quit putting money in the program. And when you start affecting that part of your program because of what they see on the field, you got a major problem. You're going to have to make a change. But the whole question is now, who do they go after, and how? Remember, they, they let Coach Fulber go too, so they got to hire an athletic director and a head football coach. And then they got Kevin Steele coming in, and you know, a lot of smoke around that situation when he was in, before we left Auburn. Uh, don't know how much he had to do with Gus not coming back either. So I, you know, I just say that out. That's rumors out there, of course, but they had to have somebody, and he was already hired before this happened. And maybe he can hold it together until they get a new coach. Well, I don't think he had anything to do with the Pruitt situation, but I did put on my Facebook and my Twitter accounts that Pruitt better watch his back with Kevin Steele being on campus now. <laughs> That was a good shot. I mean, look, we don't know. You're absolutely right. We don't know. But let's just say this. If you're a close observer, uh, you were close enough to see what was going on. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going we're going to touch on Auburn. I'm going to get your thoughts on the staff in a little bit. So there, I'm sure we will come back to Kevin Steele in, in our conversation <laughs> in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, you know, and with that, I mean, former. I mean, okay. I I, I have my doubts that this was one of them things where he was going to retire anyways. I mean, obviously this had to tie into what happened today with him being gone, right? Sure. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I think, you know, I think he was just asked to go ahead and, you know, let's make a clean sweep and let's start all over. Uh, but see, they've had financial problems up there too, Philip. I mean, they had been, they had been a program that was generating the $1,500 million a year. Uh, they, you know, the, the, first of all, with the pandemic going around, they had to limit the size. They had the largest stadium, I guess, sitting stadium at the conference still, 110 or 12 or something like that, 1,000. But they could only get 20% of them in there. So that cut down the revenue they had coming in. So, I, you know, I, I think there was a lot of circumstances that, that surrounded where they are. And, and this is really not a good time for the program to fall apart. But I mm-hmm. guess you look at it and say, is there ever a good time? Uh, that program, and I, I truly believe this. I've been involved with SEC for years and years, and uh, so I, I, you know, I, I watched different programs come to the top and then fall back and whatever. Tennessee really needs to be competitive for the for the conference to be good, particularly the East. Uh, you got Georgia and Florida, both of them have done since Mullen got to Florida. They brought that program back, and Kirby's doing a good job at Georgia. But Tennessee needs to be in that in that mix as well. Otherwise, you're going to have just you know one or two teams every year to represent at the SEC championship game versus probably you know, normally it's just been one from Alabama in Alabama <laughs> from the University of Alabama being the representative from the from the West. But I, that LSU did, got it last year. You know, I look with maybe Texas A&M now to, to start to surface. But the conference overall needs Tennessee, I think, to be competitive and uh and i just hope they make it they make the right decision this time yeah i'm with you just from a fan standpoint i remember when i first really started getting into watching games every single saturday you know that was part of my routine yeah, florida and tennessee that was the game i mean there were years where you could have argued that was the sec championship game when those two got together former versus spurrier and those games i mean and it was always early in the year so you felt like the east was kind of determined early in the year and i and i've always right. said the conference is at its peak or at its best. There, there's, when there's seven teams and there's seven programs, I believe, that should be able to compete for national championships or playoff uh, appearances. And in the West, I'm with you. It's Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and A&M. And then on the East, it should be Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. If those seven programs could ever get right all at the same time, the league would be unstoppable. It'd be like the NFL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it'd be like. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm always hopeful. I mean, I, and look, I, I've been podcast for years, and especially when Butch was the coach at Tennessee, I picked fun at him, and I do now. And I was not high on Tennessee coming into this past season. I mean, I, I've said that plenty of times, and I'm sure if anybody listens to me from Knoxville, I'm not, I'm not a fan favorite with anybody. Uh, it's just I, I didn't think three and seven was going to happen, but I was not sure. But it is shocking, uh, you know, kind of the turn they did take after that good, you know, ending to last year. And when you look at this job, I mean, first, okay, the first question I want to have about this opening with the, because you got to think the NCAA is going to look into this at some point too as well. And I know they're not as scary well, sure. as they used to be, but with that hanging over right. them, do you think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be hard to land a solid coach to come in with all this, you know, stuff going on with them, investigations and stuff? 
But, I, you know, I'm going to tell you from a coach's perspective, that's not all bad. I'm going to tell you why. It's because you, you know that that's a reason why you can't take up a beat to the SEC championship game. That gives you time to build the program. Uh, that that means you go sign twenty five, three and four or five stars that can come in and play immediately. But you go get you know the alumni base at uh, at Tennessee and the notoriety of their program through the years is good enough to go into Florida and go up the East Coast and get you out of eighteen. Let's say you go sign eighteen to nineteen players, you get your five or six every year. And while you're building, you're on the probation, but you got time to build then. Uh, and then, of course, once the probation comes off, then boom, you better be ready to play if it's a three-year or whatever. So from a coach's standpoint, that's not, you know, it will depend on who they go after to hire. Now, certainly you can't go after a guy, you know, we'll just say Dick Saban or, you know, somebody that's been, you can't go get Kirby or can't go get Jimbo Fisher or whatever. Guys that have been successful already bring them into a program that's going to probation. But you've got to, you know, uh, I, you know, I really like the the, the JB uh, Chadwell at, at uh, Coastal Carolina, uh, Bill Clark at UAB. That's that's two days. And I even heard the first guy they go interview is Tom Herman, that just left Texas. So uh, you know, I think they're going after some right people, and, but I think the the decision to get there is going to be almost imperative that they get the right and they give him the resources to do the job to hire the assistant coaches and make a, a major difference in that program. So there's no chance of a Gus Malzahn, Kevin Steele, you know, reuniting in this situation? <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. But, I don't you know. think so. <laughs> I know you do. I, I, think, I think Gus is already in, uh, in Arkansas. And uh, the next job I heard he was going after was Shallow Christian. Okay. Well, you know, go back to high school. I mean, I probably. Hey, I think he's a guy that just loves coaching. He was ultra su- yeah, he was ultra successful there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and he, it, it, I don't think he needs the money. No. <laughs> he sat there. He sat there. Uh, so, and, and with stuff that was said today, uh, and recording this on Monday evening, the podcast dropped on Tuesday, but. I mean, you got to think with the things they said, what they're looking for in a coach. There's no chance of Hugh Freeze being have any shot at this job, no. right? No, I, I, I will tell you this: I talked to a couple of guys that are very close to the board of trustees, and uh, it, it's not the fact is that uh, you know he's had a, he had some he had some problems at Ole Miss in the recruiting area. The NCAA came in and slapped him pretty hard. That was one, of the, but I think more so than that, some moral issues uh, that he's just got too much baggage right now, too early. From having, if he stays there for three or four or five years, and you may get a chance to come back to the SEC. But Tennessee right now, I don't think uh, would he be a, I don't think they're going to even interview him. I heard this afternoon. Uh, that, you know, that his name certainly has surfaced with some of the alumni, but uh, the people's going to make the decisions. I don't think he's going. Uh, they're going to narrow it down to three or four in the next few or five, four or five days. I was told today. Uh, now we don't have that list. The only name I heard out of that list. Of what they're looking for, I will tell you this. I was told tonight what they're actually looking for is somebody that can can come in there, has got experience in playing at that level of the Floridas and the Tennessee, excuse me, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama and at Tennessee. So that, out of the group that they're talking to right now, Tom Herman has already been there. Obviously, not too much at Houston, but when, when he was in Texas. So we all know the Texas job. I hope so, Coach Sarkisian can can manage that, but it's not the, the lack of opportunity at Texas, it's the politics in Texas. 
that uh, that causes a lot of problems. So, uh, you know, I, that it's hard for us to use that as a gauge to, to who you go after. But that's kind of what Tennessee's looking for right now. A coach that's been there at the top level, has been successful, and uh, he can come in. I just hope they've got the finances to, to pay one like that and, of course, let him hire a, a group of assistants that can coach at that level. Yeah. You know, Texas, I feel like, and, you know, I'll get your thoughts on this, then we kind of jump into the next topic. That, to me, is the toughest coaching job in the country because of what you mentioned there, the politics involved. Sure. I mean, there's politics everywhere, yep. especially in the SEC, but it's just there's so much pressure at Texas, and they want to be, you know, at the very top, obviously, they want to be there. But, I mean, that job, just to me, just from the outside looking, has got to be, if it's not the toughest, one of the toughest in the country. Yeah. Well, it is. And, and the thing is, too, that they're, they're, their gross income outweighs everybody else in the country. In a down year, I just saw the numbers last couple of weeks ago, that in a down year this year, uh, the academic year from the end of last football season to the end of this football season, they grossed $156 million. The next closest one was Alabama at $90 million. So there's a $60 million gap in there with the, two, with the, you know, with the national championship versus the team that just fired the coach. So we know that they've got access to all the money in the world, to hire the right guy, to put them on the road recruiting nationally, do whatever they need to do. But, see, that's another thing that administration – uh, obviously has some problems in allocating that because, you know, when you got that access to all that, you know, all that stuff that goes with it uh, and you can't win, then somebody's making some bad decisions along the way. Yeah, and you mentioned Alabama. That's kind of where I wanted to jump into. You know, we're a week removed from them winning the national championship against Ohio State. And, uh, you know, you hear everybody talking about this team and how great they were, where they line up with some other great teams in recent years. You know, now being a week, almost a week removed from them winning the national championship, which they won 52 to 24 over Ohio State. Uh, what stuck out to you the most with with this Alabama team that made them even people want to put them in that conversation as one of the best teams to ever play? Well, first of all, we got to look at the talent level. And if they didn't have the talent level, they would not have won that many awards in addition to the ball game. Uh, you know, they go, it goes back to the recruiting. Coach Saban's put together a process that they go after the players. And this next class reportedly coming in, uh, that some of them already in school as the semester starts and the spring semester starts, is supposed to be the best class he's ever recruited. Now, that's hard to believe. I think there's six or seven five-stars, and four or five of them came out of Texas. Uh, so he's going to a national recruiting base. He's got the system down. The coaches, he lost 11 assistants off the staff. Uh, they, they weren't all on the field assistants, but including guys like Charlie Strode that went to the Jaguars, or the off-field people that he brings in, in many times are just as important as the ones on the field. So, I, you know, he's, he's got a system. He's, he's put it together. He's been ultra-successful. And I think he keeps on rolling. He'll be 70 years old in October. Uh, but, you know, he's... He was as relaxed in that championship game as I've ever seen him on the sideline uh, in the interviews before at halftime. So, you know, he's he's got the program. He's got the right people there. He knows what it takes to, to build the program, and I think he's going to be around another couple of years. But then the, the final thing that was so impressive to me, and I watched him two or three times this year, was Steve Sarkeesian. He turned the offense completely over to Coach Sarkeesian, and he, his play calling was absolutely uh, – it was like a, an art exhibit. 
It's like a, a painter painting a picture and sticking in an art exhibit, always the right place at the right time. And uh, he took advantage of every mistake that Ohio State ever thought about making. And they just, you know, I, after that first quarter, it was all over. They, they scored 28 in the second quarter. And, uh, and remember, Devontae Smith, as good as he was, he won the Heisman. Last year, he was number three. And basically, you know, if number 17 had gotten hurt, he'd have been number two this year, mm-hmm. even on that field, on that offense. So, you know, that just tells you how, the depth that they've got and, and the way they coach those kids and, and the schemes that they do. When they get ready to put a game plan together, I can promise you they knew everything Ohio State had done in the last two years. Uh, every play they had run, down the distance, they knew all that. And I thought the execution was about as near perfect as you could have. You know, you talked about Coach Saban being uh, relaxed. I, I saw that when he got interviewed on the on the broadcast, the ESPN broadcast before yep. the game, and he smiled and he he kind of yep. joked a little bit. He I did. said he right. he doesn't normally do that in a pregame <laughs> interview. So I was like, he is feeling really good tonight. That that was a sign. Okay, I mean, I, I, I figured Alabama was going to win going into that was my pick. But when I when I saw the interview, that one little thing, I was like, okay, he feels good about his team for I, this game. He knew something that we didn't know at that time. I mean, he already knew how his team was going to match up against theirs. Uh, and you're right. That, to me, I, just, I was the same way. He just jumped out at me. Because normally he's just kind of, you know, well, you know, kids, just gotta, we got to perform. And I, all the kids got to carry out their sign. But you know the same old story. He always gives. But, man, he was about as relaxed I've ever seen him before a ball game, particularly a championship ball game. I didn't know relax was an emotion he could show to people, for one thing. <laughs> Listen, a guy like that is wearing so tight. Uh, relaxing, being relaxed, is that's a you know that's something that's highly unusual. And, and I'm sure his body was holidaying. What is going on with you? What, what's your mind telling us to do tonight? But uh, you're right, he's... Uh, he, he was ready to go, and I think he had all the confidence in the world. So I didn't see him jumping up down but once or twice, uh, but that was just on the on the call or two. You know, he got a he got an unsportsmanlike conduct conduct call in the Notre Dame game. So I don't know whether that got his attention or what, but uh, they had it together and they performed as well as any team I've ever seen at the college level. Well, I'm sure what happened, Miss Terry probably got on to him after that situation. Because I remember before he got one of those, I think last season, and he talked about how uh, she uh, she got on to him about that. So maybe that's what maybe you know, made him a little bit more relaxed on on the championship game. That Miss Terry got on to him for getting that uh, unsportsmanlike in the Notre Dame game. Well, she listen. I've, I've been fortunate enough to go to uh, over to Tuscaloosa where they have hey coach on Thursday night. And uh, and I've I've sat at the table with her. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, uh, she don't let anybody fool you. She uh, she she wills a big stick in that house. <laughs> he's a great football coach, and he's a disciplined a disciplinarian. But uh, she also gets her say. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of closing the book on this Alabama team, just, you know, we do want to, you know, it's like as soon as the season ends, you want to kind of look ahead to the next season, who's going to be the contenders. When, when you look in the SEC with them, with Alabama, I mean, obviously, yes, they're losing all the talent, but we know they got talent behind it. You expect Alabama to be one of the best teams in the conference and in the country again next season. 
But when you look at the SEC, do you see a team out there that can can challenge them next season? I mean, I see a lot of people talking about Georgia or maybe A and M or or we'll see what Florida and LSU and Auburn do. But who do you see in the conferences maybe can rise up for next season and be a challenge to Alabama? I just don't. I, if anybody out there, the only team that's got close to the talent level is Georgia. But I'm telling you, Kirby, Kirby Smart is not going to get it done. He'll make a mistake. The history's already proven. He makes a mistake now and then on the sideline. It's something that he's still grow, trying to grow into that status of being an ultra-successful head football coach. He gets beat by Florida this year. gets beat by Alabama this year. Uh, and he had to come from behind to beat Cincinnati in the, you know, in the bowl game. So, I, you know, he, it, I, I think, I think the, the, the kid that they brought in from Southern Cal, the quarterback, uh, JT Daniels, I think he'll help them since he's agreed to come back. He'll they'll be better offensive than they were this year. The two kids they had playing this year can't play at that level. Not win, they can play, but they can't win championships, and that's what is expected. Right now, if you look at Georgia's one loss record, Philip, they one loss. Kirby's no better than Mark Rick was. He's a ten and two coach, and uh, and that's not what they hired him for. They they brought him back having spent fifteen years with Coach Saban to bring what Coach Saban, and he's doing it recruiting-wise. But there's still some things he's got to learn on the sidelines. So I use that. I don't know that Florida's going to be defensively good enough to do it. As far as the East, we know Tennessee's not right now. Then you come over here, LSU stumbled, and, you know, after after having a great year last year. He, they stumbled along. They still got, a, I think, a long way to go. A&M, they lose Kelly Bunn uh, and two or three other players. They'll be – about like they were this year. What Alabama will beat it by twenty eight this year. And of course Auburn's got a whole new they got a whole new staff. So I look for you know, Auburn probably be a seven to eight win team this year. So I don't see anybody right now that can compete with Alabama. I, and to be honest with you, it's gonna be hard for anybody nationally to compete with them again next year. You know, you talk about nationally because you you know Ohio State, of course, they lose Justin Fields, and look, Oklahoma. We've seen that song and dance before with them get to the playoff. It's, you know, I'm proving prove me wrong before I, I kind of jump on them. So you got to think nationally, it's Clemson. I mean, yeah, they lose Trevor Lawrence, but you know, they obviously have a plan set at quarterback with him gone, and uh, they, their big receiver Justin Ross is coming back, who didn't play this past year. So to me, it just feels like I know a lot of people get bored and tired of it. it just seems like you know. On paper, Alabama, Clemson should be the best two teams in the country next year. Well, they and Clemson has got a better chance because of the league they play in. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you know, they don't have five or six teams in that league you can compete with. Miami might be on the way back. Uh, maybe another one uh, right now. You know, unless Notre Dame stays, which they are not going to, they're going back to the independent. Uh, so unless Notre Dame stayed with them, there's nobody else in the league that can compete with them week in and week out. Dabo has done a great job in recruiting and bringing those kids along. He's got a system that the kids love, and they all get along well up there. So, you know, that's one another reason I don't think when Coach Saban gets ready to retire, I don't think Dabo's going to leave Clips. I mean, he's got – you know, they they read the name the town after him right now. <laughs> uh, he's, he's done so well. So why would you want to leave and go to a place that, that every you know, that the last coach won every award that's ever been won? Uh, there it goes, and it's been noted as the best coach ever. Mm. When he can build his own reputation and stay right there, at Clemson to do it. But I agree with you, Alabama Clemson are going to go into the season probably number one, number two uh, again as the season gets ready to start. Two hundred what two hundred sixty five days from now. <laughs> 
Uh, and of course, Clemson, they'll open with Georgia, but I do hope Dabo Sweeney learned his lesson to kind of keep his mouth shut about the other teams he's trying to come and play. <laughs> well, some some of us have a hard time doing it, Philip. <laughs> you know, we get all caught up in the moment. And I know he, he probably had regretted what he said about Ohio State, but uh, hey, you know, they played like they were number 11 if you don't know the truth. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. And, uh, you know, something else I want to get your thoughts on uh, is, you know, the last thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, Auburn hiring Brian Harson because actually Gus Malzahn was still the head coach last time we talked back in early early December. And just and uh, first of all, overall, your thoughts on the hire of Brian Harson? Well, I, you know, I think it, I think it, overall it was probably a good hire because the Auburn fan base, you know this, maybe where you live, uh, is kind of an Auburn area. And, uh, and basically, that fan base was split. And if they hadn't hired somebody out of, you know, out of the area, uh, somebody had been successful where he was, and it was a, a somewhat of a smaller type program. But I think he's, I think he's put together a pretty good staff. He's mixed it up. He's got people from other teams in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they all work together at Auburn. And, and, and I'm gonna say to you, much like we talked about Tennessee football when we started off. He's got to have the range to do and build that program under his, you know, under his formula. It's not going to be like Gus's. I mean, he's 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 got a, a, an offense that's, that's been very productive in the league that he's been in. Uh, you know, and he's competed against the Pac-12 teams. It's been very successful. He's recruited against them. It's been very successful. So I, I, I'm going to be anxious to watch. I think right now uh, you can't argue with his credentials and where he came from to where he is. Uh, again, if the Auburn people will just sit back and give him time, and uh, Mike Bobo can, you know, get a hold of Bo Nix and get him to stay in the pocket. Uh, and first of all, you got to, you know, your offensive line's got to, Will Friend's got to block, teach those kids to block, because they, one of the reasons Dix ran, ran so many times last year, he had run for his life. And uh, that's not going to get you very many places. So they got a good running back. And I think uh, the wide receiver core is going to have to, you know, step up. Because he's going to want to throw the ball probably twenty-five or thirty times in a ball game, so I say all that to you. Uh, really, the, I think the the book's still I'm still open out there about the way the program's going to end up. But I do think they're in the, that they're in the right phase of it right now in bringing the number of people they brought in. Recruiting should pick up. But remember this, and you heard it just like we did. If if in fact why did they fire Gus three days before the signing date? If that class, that recruiting class, was ranked at the lowest it was ranked, and I heard anywhere, the highest I heard was 37. I even heard somewhere it's in the 50s. That that means there were no players on that in that recruiting class at that particular time that could play in the SEC and win championships. That means you got a lot of three stars, and uh, and you rolled the dice on some of those kids. They're gonna have to upgrade that considerably, and uh, and I think he's got a plan to do that. Uh, the next step is we just got to sit back and wait and see how you know see how it comes together. Yeah, I, I've been impressed with the staff. I mean, I admit I'm not, and I know some Auburn people aren't overly enthused over Mike Bobo. Uh, it's just you know that's one of the things because I, and I, I wonder if that's part of it too because you heard his name mentioned with Kevin Steele, and just for you when all that was going on because it felt like if the way it was it was being reported and all the news that was coming out with the Auburn search was it seemed like okay and especially when Brian Harson gets hired because that was a name you did not hear of during the whole process 
you know, that seemed like that was the president athletic director. That was their guy or one of their guys. But then you had the board of trustees and who they wanted and the Kevin Steele stuff was out there. The truth to it, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll get a 30 for 30 one day on this Auburn coaching search. I don't know, but it, it did seem like there was not a collective. They were on the same page. The board of trustees and then the Auburn, you know, athletic director Alan Green and the president weren't on the same page. It was just kind of a, it was kind of a weird and almost in ways a bad look for Auburn, kind of how some of the coaching search went down. Yep. Well, I, I think I think that, that was kind of typical. If you don't know the truth. I think even when you know the, the Gus was under all kind of pressure because the fan base was split, and I think the board of trustees was split. And uh, there were a couple of the board of trustees that didn't like us personally. Uh, and I think it was just because of his personality more than anything else. I mean, I, I don't think he had the character flaws. I think it was just it was his personality. And, you know, he put somebody in charge and by midseason. He'd take the play calling away and grab it back himself. And it was, uh, But I think more than anything else, it wasn't the fact that he, he wasn't successful against Alabama because he was successful about half the time against Alabama. But the inconsistency. You know, he may be, and I've said this a hundred times, he may beat Alabama uh, at the end of the season, but he, he during the year he'd be lost to Southern Miss or, or Monroe or Louisiana Monroe or somebody like that. And, and the fans were just tired of the inconsistency. He didn't beat the teams he was supposed to beat every time. And then, of course, when he came up with a big win, uh, of course, he, he still had a hard time with Georgia. But uh, he, I think he won three out of five the last five years against Alabama. So, you know, I, I think that's the way people want to measure your success, and uh, and I think that was there. But uh, I think for whatever reason, it all boiled up. The, the, Dr. Gooch, and, uh, the president, said, hey, you know, we're not going to sit and listen to this year in and year out. We're going to have to make a change. And, of course, they made it. Now, the, the, the proof in that was to be what they do from here forward. And, uh, and I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see what they do in the spring. And uh, if they have spring, I hope they do. But uh, then I hope, you know, then I hope they get to have two a days again, uh, one day like we used to have. And, uh, and then the names will start to emerge and mm-hmm. uh, the players will start to come, come to the surface. Yeah. And I think for Auburn fans, and look, I, I write about team for the last word on college football. He, he is refreshed because he's different because he's not an Auburn guy. I mean, because it was, you know, Malzahn right. was under Chiswick. Chiswick was under Toberville. I mean, Toberville's different. He was from the South, though, at Ole Miss. I mean, it, it is yeah. a different kind of hire. And I think that's kind of like a breath of fresh air. And he could be, you know, what Auburn needs to kind of add some new energy exactly to right. the program. Because yeah. I think if you brought in another Auburn guy that had been there before, it kind of would have felt stale once again, eventually, like it did with miles on and yep. eventually which is it with a new guy new you know a new energy some new blood coming into the program i think that's really going to be really good for auburn in the long run if he can you know obviously have success on the field yeah well and i think that's what led to that hire if you look the truth the administration knew that and uh it hats off for doing that and you know basically they kept cadillac williams and maybe one more that they didn't keep they didn't keep a lot of the old heads have been around a long time and I think that new blood coming in. See, Auburn, it, it's not like most schools. Philip. Auburn can recruit itself. The name Auburn, when you go to Florida, to Georgia, or most anywhere in Louisiana, or any Mississippi to recruit, uh, the name Auburn's going to, they'll get you in the front door. Then it's up to the coaches to close it and, uh, you know, and show, show these kids exactly what they got to offer and, and how the program's going to change. So, I, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a – my some of my best friends 
my big office supporters, that they said, well, you know, they need to leave three or four so they can stay in touch with the recruits. My first question was, why? If you looked at the recruiting, recruiting class that they tried to sign, that's why, you know, that's why you're going to be eight and four of 75 next year if you don't do better than that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for what they've done. I just, but I want to see it work. I want to see it in practice now between now and next fall. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the thing. It's you know, say all these things and make all these good moves, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, see what happens when you do get get these players on the field. And, you know, and I guess the final thing I want to you know ask you about, just you know, as we the season has ended, with the end of the college football season was last week. As we head into the off season and into next year, just you know, kind of what's your your final thoughts overall from what you saw from the twenty twenty season? I think, without a doubt, that the committee got the, the right four teams in the, in the playoffs. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I know there were some teams that thought that Cincinnati ought to, ought to have been there, but but, it, but the way it's structured now, there will never be you know a group of, of, of a group five anybody less than those top uh, Division one teams play in the playoffs. But the reason is is because of not the fact that they aren't good enough to play there; they don't have a big enough following. Remember that committee that selects the uh, the playoff teams is an ad hoc committee. It's not NCAA. It's not the coaches. Uh, it's not the pollers. It's it's an ad hoc thirteen member committee that's all driven by economics. So they want the best four. The best four. The teams got the best record out of those top four. They can draw the biggest audience. They really wanted Oregon in there uh, so they could get that West Coast audience. But you know, Oregon wasn't good enough. They already lost two ball games. So I, I say, that, first of all, I say that I thought the committee did a good job in selecting that. In, in my opinion, the right team would, uh, it, it would, in the, I think, in the really in the, in the way that everybody in the country thought they would. That's first. Second is the most important thing is I hope the, the pandemic thing doesn't stretch out like it did this past year. Uh, and they have games that are canceled, or they have, you know, they have programs that that, that have spring traded. Or I think we're going to have to watch this thing. And I, look, I'm all about keeping them healthy, keeping them well, and all. But let me tell you, I didn't see there was there's two aspects that I never saw this year. Out of those top four teams, not one of those kids went to the transfer portal. Not a one of them. So that tells me they were doing something right. Alabama had as much as they moved around. They let the kids go home and all. They didn't have any kids that missed a ball game. Uh, they kept they, they t- kept a close hand on their environment and what the help things they had to do. If one team can do that, it's not like coaching. That's just a procedure that you use. Why can't the other teams do it? Why did why did Texas A and M have two games canceled? Uh, you know, and I just throw that out as an example. If Alabama can do it, everybody else in the conference. I, I think those rules need to be tightened down. If, if the pandemic stays around, it looks like it's going to. Then I think that's the other thing. Those are the things. Then I then I, I hope, really, I hope Tennessee comes back. It, it becomes very competitive, and I hope Auburn does. That was that's the two big, you know, the, the coaches that I, I will be watching closely uh, this next year. But I mean, I'm glad we had a, a full season. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be a challenge for some of these teams again uh, for the, this time next year. But I'm just hoping that we could get a a full off-season in and a full schedule for next year. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that one uh, when it comes to next year. And I want to I want to see stadiums that are more full, you know, when, on Saturdays. Yeah, and, well, and, and, 
And Sundays, too, because I watch the NFL, too. I mean, I want to see uh, us to be able to have people at sporting events because that, that's an element that you missed, especially college, especially college football, college athletics. The fan bases, the passion, especially in the SEC, that adds to uh, the difficult task of going on the road. And, you know, we didn't have that this year. And that's one thing I'm, I'm really wanting to see. And I think that's going to be worth celebrating once we get to the point where we can have these stadiums full again. Yep, I agree. I agree. I, I think a lot of that's going to be determined on the, the, you know, if the vaccine works, if they have a, a track record of it working now, uh, maybe if they don't fill, fill the stadium, maybe they maybe let 50% go next year, mm-hmm. which like they've done the restaurants, still have some, you know, separation in the seating, but at least be better than it was this year. I agree with you. Uh, you know, it, with it, out it being, oh, you got to accept they, they did pipe the noise in at several stadiums this year. But other than that, all you've got is like a practice because mm-hmm. nobody's in the stadiums. It's just like going yeah. to practice every day. So, you know, and I, I think that does play a major role as far as the, the emotion uh, from the players, from the team itself. And, of course, the, you know, the, the tailgating before and afterwards and all the restaurants in, in these smaller towns that missed out and trying to make a living and a lot of them had to close. I hope all that can be changed before next year. Yeah, I'm with you, and uh, I can't wait to next year. And I do want to say this while we're still uh, recording here, uh, Coach, I do appreciate that a couple times you did come on the podcast this past season. I always appreciate uh, you taking out the time to come on the show. It's always my pleasure. I tell you, this is this is a passion I have. I don't, you know, I, I do a, I do probably eight or ten shows during the fall a week, and uh, and I I'll, I'll never quit doing that. I mean, I, I that's my interest. I've got a a full-time job in a major corporation, but I spend my time mornings, early mornings and late afternoons and evenings following college football, and I've always I've always done it. I've, I've saved 32 years on the field, and I won't ever give it up. They'll find me. Somebody asked me the day, we're going to retire. I said, well, they'll find me on the side of the road somewhere, and <laughs> they'll know that I've had enough. <laughs> That's, uh, that, this is just my passion, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Oh, yeah. Always, always, always an honor to have you on the show. And I uh, do appreciate you taking out the time uh, once again coming on this week's show. And I look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Thank you so much, Philip. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at P. Jordan SEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time when we're Talkin' SEC.